Well, thank you, ladies, for coming up and sharing your hearts. It's so, so sweet to be able to laugh and cry with you. Um, would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning? We're going to be reading in Romans 8, 22 to 39. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless, wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, that he might do, be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also among with, along with them graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life is the right is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we face death all day long we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This is the word of the Good morning. Thank you. Woo, man, I've already cried three times today. <sighs> Dang it. Um, so good to be with you all. Um, thank you, ladies, for those shares. It was beautiful, both of you. And I love that new song. That new song just kind of hit me, and I was like, woo. And I don't get hit very often, so uh, bear with me if I take on the spirit of Winnie Turney for the next couple minutes here. <laughs> I don't have the shoes that you have some cool shoes on right now. She's got sparkly 
Shoes. What? You? Yeah, I'm talking to you. I love your shoes. <laughs> uh, well, today we are uh, officially wrapping up our summer series on the Psalms with Romans 8, which does sound kind of strange. Um, we'll actually be in a psalm uh, in a week or two, but this is sort of wrapping it up. It's right. I won't, I won't mention who that was. Um, Sam Clark. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, all, all summer we've been, we've been looking at what I've been called these prayers from the heart, right? Moments where, where, where people of God just are, are, there's a freedom to bring every possible human emotion or experience that we might be having to the Lord. And I've been saying that the Psalms are God's invitation. He's like, just bring it. I, can, I have room for everything going on in your complicated little hearts. I, I want to hear it, and, and there's nothing off limits. And so that's kind of been what we've been talking about. Prayer, prayer is this place to be authentic. It's this place to bring the stuff of our lives before God who actually wants to hear it. This has been the, uh, the quote I've given you. Prayer is not a place to be good. <laughs> it's a place to be honest. Prayer is not a place to perform. It's a place to be present. Prayer is not a place to be right. It's a place to be known. And so we've been exploring that by looking at different emotions and different human experiences. And uh, what I want to do today, I thought it'd be good to finish this by setting that whole topic and that whole kind of bring your heart to the Lord in, in the larger context of what it means to pray now as new covenant Christians. Okay, obviously the Psalms were written in the Old Testament, but we are now new covenant Christians. And what does prayer look like specifically now that God has sent his son into the world and God has sent his spirit into our hearts? What does prayer look like? Uh, what does prayer look like when we are in relationship with a Trinitarian God? <laughs> okay, and we believe in a God who, uh, this Yahweh, who the psalmists, right, prayed to, uh, we believe that that one God is somehow a dynamic fellowship of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I don't fully understand how this works, but God within himself is some dynamic community. And when we pray, we're not just expressing our hearts to God. We're actually brought into the life of the Trinitarian God. It's like there's this stream, this relational stream of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and when we pray, we are joining that stream. And so prayer is, is much bigger than self-expression, as, as helpful as that is. <laughs> but there's something much deeper. There's a deeper spiritual reality at work in prayer and who our God is. And I thought, I'd, I don't want to leave this conversation about prayer without giving us the, the broader New Covenant context. And so really what I want to do is try to expand our imaginations today, okay, for what is going on in prayer. Uh, again, we are, um, we're not just praying to God as New Covenant Christians, but we actually pray with God. We have a God who is praying for us, with us, even in us. And so I want to try to get us to broaden our imaginations, not in like the make-believe imagination, but to actually imagine what's actually taking place whenever we pray. Um, I, there's this quote from G.K. Chesterton that I love, and he says this. He says, the poet 
only asks to get his head into the heavens. He just wants to peek into the heavens and see what's there. It's the logician who seeks to get the heavens into his head, and it's his head that splits, right? And, and I, what I want to do today is, is be like we're, post, we're not going to get all of this crammed in our heads and perfectly figured out, and it's not a formula to figure out. But there's a, there's a deep, big, massive reality that is our God. And I want to see if we can just kind of peek our, our heads into the heavens. Our imaginations would be expanded for what's taking place in prayer because of the God that we pray to and pray with. <laughs> and hopefully this will all make sense as we go. Um, so what I want to do, just before we look at Romans 8, um, I want you to imagine what your most consistent place like physical place of prayer is in your life. Where do you most often do your praying, okay? So for me, it's uh, in my backyard. There's a chair I bring out, and I'm in the backyard in the mornings. That's probably my most consistent place. You might have a chair uh, in the house, uh, a couch, your bed. Uh, There might be a walk or a bike ride or a jog where you do most of your praying. Your car might be the most consistent place, okay? It, right? there's, there's no right or wrong to what I'm saying here, but I want you just to imagine yourself there and what happens when you pray there. And if, if you're anything like me, what happens is you are a jumbled mix of distraction, anxiety, hopes, dreams, uh, passions, uh, sin, you're all that, and you're trying to bring that to God, and it's a fairly complicated thing that happens you know, when you try it, right? It's just a mix of stuff. Um, but what I want to do today is I want you to imagine that place, because you're going to go to that place hopefully this week, and I want you to go back to that place now and see when you do, if you can kind of peek your head into the heavens and have an, a, a spiritual imagination for what's taking place every time you approach this God in prayer, okay? That's what we're going to try to do this morning. So um, let's look at Romans 8. Uh, not doing any justice to one of the greatest chapters in all of Scripture, okay? Um, I'm going to focus on one particular part of this, uh, but context of Romans 8 is what it means to live in a, in a broken world longing for eternity, okay? And that's just where we all find ourselves. And so what you'll see, if you look closely at our passage, uh, you'll see a lot of groaning <laughs> and you'll see a lot of hoping, okay? So let me just show you the groaning. Look at verse 22, right? The whole creation has been groaning, right? Nature itself is groaning. It's wanting its release um, from decay. Verse 23, not only that, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit are groaning in this fallen, broken world. We're wanting to, you know, experience eternal life. And then we have even the Spirit himself in verse 26 is interceding with groans, wordless groans. So there's lots of groaning, and we've all experienced lots of groaning in our lives, in the last couple years in particular. Uh, But of course, there's also hope, right? There's lots of hope in this passage. Um, Look at verse 24. For in this hope, that's a hope of eternal life, we've been saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently, okay? So we're in this world, and it's a fallen, broken world, and we're fallen and broken, so we groan all the time, but there's also hope in it. And we live in that already not yet mixture of hope and groaning that is life in this fallen world, okay? And in the midst of that context, um, Paul makes a comment about prayer, which I'm really grateful for, and it's in verse 26, okay? In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, and here's the, here's the 
phrase that I loved. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Or we don't know how to pray, something your translation might say. And I love that Paul said that because I feel that way all the time, right? In this fallen, broken world with hope and groaning, prayer is a complicated thing. And we don't always know what we ought to be doing. And, and again, as you imagine yourself in your place of prayer, I'm sure that's a very complicated thing, right? I, we don't know. We, we're, we're not experts at this. And we don't know what we're always supposed to be doing in those moments. And uh, Romans 8 doesn't give us the formula answer, well, here's how you pray. Here's the answer to what you're supposed to be praying for. doesn't give us that. What it does do is it opens our imaginations our eyes to what God is doing in those moments where we're praying to him, okay? This Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time is I want you just to imagine each of the persons of the Trinitarian God and and what is going on in those moments of prayer, okay? So, and we'll see it all here from Romans 8. I want to imagine our Father. I want to imagine His Son. I want to imagine His Holy Spirit. All right, you ready? Okay, so let's start with the Father. How do we imagine this God who is our Father? And let me ask you that, actually, before I show you what we see here. Um, When you're praying, how do you imagine the, the being, the person that you're praying to? And I guess what I would say is, how do you imagine his face? Like, what's his, what's his default countenance towards you? Okay, you might have, there might be, if you were to picture him having a face, what's the look, kind of the default look that he has towards you when you address him? And I'll just say, this is kind of a fun one for me to think about this week, because every week I get up here and I get to watch your all's countenances. And, and you all have different default sermon listening faces. Um, some of you have a default face of like curious. It's sort of like, you know, you're, there's, there's, or there's, there's, there's the, the concerned default face. And I've learned it's, it looks like you're suspicious, but you're not. You're just thinking, but it's like, that's the default. Um, there's the default encourager. There's the, you know, I, I, like, I know the face is to go when I'm not feeling good about what I'm, okay. you know, like, okay, go right over there. There's nod, there's the empathy, there's the empathetic default encourager. Um, gosh, the hardest one, and there's a lot of y'all, it, there's the default blank. And I've learned that blank doesn't mean you're not paying attention, necessarily. Because sometimes you'll come up to me and say, that was awesome, and, and you actually say something, and I'm like, oh, that person was actually listening to me. It didn't look like they were listening to me, uh, but they are listening to me. Um, you, we all have a default, right? And, and what do you imagine the default countenance of God as you're in that place of prayer? What's his face towards you? And... There's no description of God's face in this passage, but there's a very small three-letter word that I so love here that gets at his default countenance, and it's in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is, what's the word? 
for us. This is his default countenance, a face that is entirely for you. Whatever you're about to say, whatever you've been up to, you have this person who is like, I am just for you. Like, whatever's going on, I am so for you. And, and most of us have friends in our lives who we know, this person is so for me. I just know that they're, they're in my corner. They, they're fans of mine. They're, I mean, whatever, whatever image you want to use, we have a God who is now, because of some theological realities, is entirely for us, for our flourishing. He is described earlier in uh, verse uh, 15, we didn't read this, but as our Abba, right? As our Papa, Dad, right? This, this father who has affection and delight in his kids and whose default, right, is, hey, I am for you. <laughs> and, and we learn what that means. Look at verse 28. This is where Wendy started, this started to hit her when she was reading this. And we know, here's what it means for God to be for us. We know that in all things, God works for, there's the word again, the good of those who love him. What it means for him to be for us is, I'm going to take every detail of your life, right? Becca shared past details of her life. I'm going to take every detail, and I have a way of working in the good, the bad, and the ugly for your good. And the good gets defined in the next verse as in order to, to make us more and more like Jesus. And so um, it's funny, the Gunlock family is kind of late to the, the Chosen series. We're actually just we're in like midway through the second season. I mostly watched it like two years ago, but we're latecomers to it. But we're watching with our girls The Chosen, which is this, if you don't know what that is, you know, it's this fresh depiction of Jesus in the Gospels. And, and it's, it's a fresh take on Jesus. And I think it's been compelling to a lot of people. It's been very compelling to me. And I love the Jesus that is being portrayed there. And um, it's given me just, as I'm reading the Gospels, it's, you know, it's fresh eyes, of another kind of thought of Jesus. And as I was reading this verse this week, I thought, God is using everything in my life. He can use it all to make me more like that guy. And I want to be like that guy. <laughs> this is a really good man <laughs> who, who is, that, that is my, my heart's desire to become more and more like that. And so one thing we know about God is all things he is using and can use in order to make us more and more like his son, Jesus. Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? This father gave his son to you, the most extravagant gift he could. If he's willing to do that, what would he not be willing to give you that would lead to your flourishing? And those of us who are Abbas, who are fathers or mothers, um, understand we all want good for our kids, and there's nothing we don't want to provide them that would actually lead to their flourishing, right? There's some things they want we know are not going to be helpful. We won't give them those things. But we absolutely would do whatever we could to help them thrive, and so this is the first thing we learn. We have to imagine God, the Father, as this Abba whose default countenance is, is one of love and delight and just entire forness. I'm so for you guys. 
and I'm going to work everything out for your good, and there's nothing I wouldn't give you that would be actually helpful to your flourishing. I, I can give you, and, and I've given you the most important thing, and I, I will give you all of that. And so when we pray, I want us to expand our imaginations for the face of the person we're praying to. What is his countenance? It's one of joy. It's one of affection. It's a one of willingness and desire to help. Whatever you're going to bring up to him, there's a default. I want to I help. <laughs> I'm here to help. I'm here to help you thrive. Right? That's not, it doesn't mean we always get what we want, of course. Like we don't give our kids everything they want because that wouldn't be helpful. But that's, that's who we need to be thinking about. And, and I just want you to be thinking this week, how would my prayers change if I, if I that, that imagination got, got a hold of me? And that's actually what I was picturing when I prayed to my God. All right, so that's the first person, God the Father. But of course, we now need to talk about God the Son. And this is where this, I just think, gets amazing to me. Uh, look at verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns, right? If God has already justified us and chosen us, who is it who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, who more than that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us, okay? So there's about four things that, is descri that describes Jesus in that verse. First one I want to say is he is at the right hand of God, okay? So I want you, again, your imagination. So you're in your place of prayer. You're imagining God the Father and his countenance. And now you need to imagine that at his right hand, so I guess that would be to our left, <laughs> his right, is his son, Okay? In heaven, right at the right hand of God, regularly Jesus is described. He's in the place of uh, power and authority and at, at, at his father's side. And he's described in a couple ways here. He's described as having died. Okay? So the person at the father's right hand is someone who, of course, died on a cross, which we will remember in communion today. This person died. If you could look closely at him, if you could look closely at his hands and his side, he still bears the scars, the wounds of his death. And of course, what he did was he died and took on your sins and my sins and all the sins of the world, all the, the stuff that causes all this groaning. He entered into the groaning and he took that all on himself at the cross and he paid the penalty for all of those sins. The, the, the just sentence that every human being deserves, he served death in condemnation, okay? He died, but he also, it says, more than that was raised to life, of course. Now, he's not dead, right? He's, he's risen, he's resurrected, and he's full of power. He's full of life at the Father's right hand. And what is he doing? It says he is interceding for us. He's praying on our behalf, interceding. He's saying things like to his father, and he's right at his father's right ear. He's saying things like, um, this one that's praying to you right now, I died for this one. Right? These are what the intercessions of the, the dead and resurrected Jesus look like. I gave my life for that one. My blood covers that one. Father, there's no condemnation for this one. This one, and all her broken messiness and all his stupid whatever, you name it, right? 
is clothed in my perfect righteousness. Father, I died for this one. And so you are entirely free, even in your holiness, to be utterly for this one. No condemnation. So as we're praying, I'm praying in my backyard, (laughs) right? And it's a jumbled, broken, dysfunctional mess of stuff, right? And my prayers are reaching the Father's ears, which is good news in, in itself, But the deeper news is there is another voice in that moment that is reaching the Father's ears. And it's the voice of his son right at his right side. And his voice and all of those messages that his life was all about are reaching the Father's ears. And the Father, I don't know what you think God thinks about your voice. Like if he likes your voice, if he's annoyed at your voice, whatever you think, okay? He loves the voice of his son. He loves the voice of his son. There's, and there's nothing he likes doing more than bringing joy to his son. And so our voice goes before the father's ears. And his son's voice, interceding on our behalf, goes to the father's ears. And I, all that to say, when we come to God in prayer, we're not coming on the basis of our own merits and our own performance. And I'm so grateful for that. Because sometimes, right, you've you all been there where it's like, I should be praying right now, but I've been a disaster lately, right? Like, my life has been just a disaster. I don't even feel like I have the right to ask something of God and be heard. And the good news is (laughs) your right to prayer has very little to do with your moral performance, right? Amen. Like, the reason this works has very little to do with you. You You step into this moment based off of the merits of the Son of God, that you are now found in Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, in heaven, with Christ at the right hand of the Father. Okay? Um, that's why this whole thing works. That's why we can step in here and sing songs that the Father is pleased with. Not because we've lived perfect weeks, <laughs> but because of, of the sacrifice of Jesus, that we're clothed in his righteousness. That's why we can do this. And so I, I love just this, this idea that um, when I pray, <laughs> I'm not just praying to God. That's, that's true. But God is praying with me. God the Son, again, I don't get all this. God the Son is praying with and for me. I've got an advocate. I've got an intercessor who's in the Father's ear. And that is such good news. And that's why this this works, okay? You with me? God the Father, God the Son. Now, that still leaves God, Father, Son, up there, and me alone down here. <laughs> Doesn't. I'm still alone down here in my yard, and God the Father and the Son are up there in heaven. And of course, we need to bring in the third member of the Godhead to appreciate even another beautiful reality, which is the work of the Spirit in prayer. Uh, let me read this to you. Look at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes. That's the same word that the Son was doing in heaven. The Spirit intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches hearts, that's God the Father, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Okay? So we just learned that in heaven, we have one interceding for us. Now we're going to learn that even right in here, 
In our very hearts, we have God's Spirit, Jesus interceding in heaven, God's Spirit interceding in our hearts as we pray. So if you go back, uh, go back to verse um, 16. Again, we didn't read this, but here's another heart ministry of the spirits. Uh, verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, right? Verse 15, the spirit you received did not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So the spirit has this beautiful uh, ministry in our hearts, right, to take the fatherhood of God and take that uh, and transform that so it's no longer just a doctrine we believe, but it becomes a reality we experience deep in here, right? He's, it's a heart ministry that the spirit has. And what we're learning in verse 26 is there's another heart ministry uh, that the Spirit has in the midst of our praying. And it's a new ministry. You've never heard of it, but it's called the ministry of groaning. Okay? He has a ministry of groaning when we pray. In our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. Right? We've all had that experience. Situations are complicated. What do I pray for, God? Do I pray for healing for this person? Do I pray for your encouragement in the midst of the suffering? Do I pray for both? Here's, a, a, you know, roads or, or paths are crossing, and they both are pretty good. They both look good. Which, which one do we pray? I, we don't know. Regular. I, I don't know what your will is. I don't know how to pray in these moments. And in those moments, it says the Spirit is our helper. And twice it uses the word he's interceding for us, right? He intercedes through wordless groans. Have you ever had prayer reduced to wordless groans? Right? Moments where you're just like, God, I don't, like, ugh, right? Like, I don't know. Oh, this is so hard or so confusing, and I don't know what to do. And it's just like, mm, it's, it's the groans of, of the fallenness of the world, and it's the groans of hoping for God's work, right? That's, those are the groans. And what, what is being said here is the Spirit actually inspires those groans and initiates those groans, generates those groans within us, which is pretty comforting because usually when I'm in that groaning place, I'm feeling like, God, I don't know if you're listening. I'm feeling kind of abandoned and alone. I don't know what to do. And what we're finding out, no, no, those moments of like ugh, groaning, that's actually evidence that God is right there with you. <laughs> His Spirit is at work in these things. He intercedes with wordless groans, but then in verse 27, it says he also intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God, right? We don't know what God's will is in those groanings. The Spirit absolutely knows what God's will is, and so he's able to inspire these wordless, heartfelt, groaning, hopeful, right, groans, and, and, but do that in a way that is perfectly in line, <laughs> with God's will, and God knows the mind of the Spirit, right? Because they are one. So I, I want you to imagine this. Now I want you, from the, the, the place of God the Father, okay? He's looking down on you in your place of prayer, and he's hearing you throw these inarticulate, you know, just these moments where you just don't know what to do, and he's seeing that coming from your mouth. But he also sees his own spirit in your heart, working in you, groaning within you. He sees that. And, and, and the Spirit and the Father together know precisely how to take what's going on in you and bring that into His perfect purposes and will. 
and this is going to feel like a really crass analogy, but whenever I picture this, I kind of picture the old Charlie Brown um, cartoons. You know, like anytime you, the parents are there, they, they, how they talk, right? And sometimes I feel like I'm praying, and that's, it's me. It's like, you know? And, and the Spirit of God is like, Father, what Dave meant by that, <laughs> you know, is this. And the, and the Father and the Spirit together know how to take all that and, and weave them into his eternal purposes. And I can remember a very specific moment of prayer years ago. I was really just in a, feeling in a desperate emo, emotional moment. Uh, I was down at the beach, and I can remember the comfort of this verse. And I was, I was journaling, and I just didn't know what to do. And I, and I literally just stopped. I'm like, Spirit, just take over. Like, I'm just going to sit here in silence for a second. And I don't know how this works, but you just, just do your thing, <laughs> you know. And I just sort of sat there. And, and again, I don't know if that was a good thing to do or not, but there was something comforting in knowing, oh, this is a, a much bigger than about my ability to articulate um, precisely what ought to be articulated in this moment. And again, I, I'm, I'm bringing this too close, but this is just, it's wild to me. Um, so I don't just have an intercessor up there at the right hand of the Father. I have an intercessor working and groaning within me uh, himself in line with the will of God, inspiring my prayers, even generating my prayers. Okay, look at this. This is a great quote. This is a great book, a little book called The Soul of Prayer by P.T. Forsythe, but I love this quote. When we begin to pray, we may imagine ourselves to be facing God from a position of independence. We imagine our prayer as a voluntary and independent submission, which is ours to give, but this is not the Christian idea. The New Testament teaches that only those things are perfected in God which he begins. If our prayer reach or move him, it is because he first reached and moved us to pray. I think, whoa, right? Here I thought I was just doing my creative self-expression. No, but the Spirit was already at work in my heart stirring these things up. So, so God initiates and God completes, and I'm brought into this process. So again, the logician doesn't quite know how to fit all this together, but these are the biblical realities that we're brought into all the time when we pray. And I'll just, my, my last thought on this series on prayer, normally what we think about, when we think about the act of praying, we think, this is my opportunity to involve God in my life. Right? I, I, can, I can do so much of my life on my own, and, but prayer is this place where I get to involve God in my life. And as I look at Romans 8, I go, it's actually kind of the opposite. <laughs> right? Actually, prayer is God's opportunity to involve us in his life. In, in prayer, we're, we're being brought into the life uh, and, the, and the passions and the purposes and the will of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is a great privilege. Again, it's like this eternal stream. And when we pray, we get to kind of jump in the stream and, and, and work with the stream that is God's life and purposes in this world. Amen. So my encouragement to you this week is when you pray, before you start praying, just take like two minutes and just let your imagination go for a bit. And what is, what's about to happen here? And then pray. With that, let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll celebrate communion.
Well, Father, today we just, at least I, I step back and kind of marvel in awe uh, that you are this eternal God who is very complex, very deep and rich, and um, we, we can't even fully grasp all that you are. And I'm, and I'm grateful that, that you're that big. And I think we're all grateful that, that you're so big that, that eternity will not be enough time to explore the depths of who you are. And I pray even this week that we might experience a bit of that wonder as we come to you with our ordinary daily prayers, sometimes for big things, sometimes for little things, but that you would draw us in, draw us into your life, and that whatever else prayer is, it would be something that deepens our intimacy with you and actually changes our hearts and minds. We're, we're often trying to change your heart and mind in prayer, um, but would you work in these times to align us uh, with your heart and your purposes? Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name and on the basis of his sacrifice. Amen.